Inga Witcher, fourth generation dairy farmer, milking cows and making cheese on my small farm in Wisconsin. And I'm Matt Kinzera, and I know next to nothing about farming, but I'm on this food and farming adventure. Gather with us around the farm table. Today I was in a hurry to bring in the bedding before it started to rain. I had a little happy hour socially distanced party the other day with my neighbors and I was mentioning to my neighbor Tom that I needed some bedding. And well, the following day, he told me go out and pick it up, go out and pick up all those bedding bales in the field because I'm sick of having to haul them back to the farm. What he was really saying is, I know that money's tight and I know that you need this bedding, go out and get it and you can thank me later. So as I reflect on Thanksgiving, I reflect on all the things I'm so thankful for. I'm thankful for my neighbor Tom for giving me this gift of dry bedding to get the cows through the long Wisconsin winter. I'm thankful for my other neighbor Steve for coming down and helping me get my skid steer going when the whole thing was blown right up. I'm thankful for my dad for showing up every other morning at six o'clock to help me turn our milk into cheese and to be there to listen to me as I try to navigate through these different times. I'm thankful for my mom for showing up and helping me wrap the cheese in the fresh cheesecloth. I'm thankful for her for loading the cheese up and driving five hours round trip to drop it off at a store who's bought our cheese. I'm thankful for each and every one of you that's supported our podcast, supported our television show, and supported our farm by purchasing that cheese. Most of all, I am so thankful to the seven cows and the two calves here on the farm that make my life so complete. That remind me every day how lucky I am to be able to care for them to be able to care for this 28 acre piece of land that's under my care, to be able to care for the birds and the bees and the grasses and the trees and everything else. Farming is so rewarding and I'm so grateful to be a part of this. Well, today we're doing our podcast very socially distanced, a little bit different than when we've recorded in the past. We are now recording outside in an open air barn, the barn that I milk the cows in. So thank you for braving the different smells that maybe you're not used to and pulling up a bale of hay with me. It's my pleasure. This is wonderful. Uh, it's the first time that we've ever set up the microphone on a hay bale, so I feel that <laughs> that feels right for we the gotta be authentic. podcast. <laughs> so we started this podcast in person, you and I actually, you know, in a home recording. Then we moved outside for a while, and then we moved to a barn up the hill. Now we're in the barn down the hill. So I feel like every time we record is an absolute adventure. Well, today's episode is going to be a little different as we approach Thanksgiving. Instead of talking to a farmer today about soil and food and all the things that are important, we're going to be talking to someone about how to use those ingredients to make some really lovely things for Thanksgiving. The holidays are going to look a lot different for most people this year because we have to stay home, socially distance, 
And being a dairy farmer, I've been socially distancing on the holidays since I can remember. Because I have to be here to do chores in the morning and in the evening, it doesn't really allow me time to go travel over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house and be able to get home at the same time. So what we've done is we've kind of developed our own ways of celebrating in our own traditions. And one of those things, and it might sound very odd, on Thanksgiving morning, we pop open a bottle of champagne during the morning milking. We bring our champagne flutes out to the barn. Thanksgiving is about indulging. So we start off first thing in the morning with indulging in champagne and just kicking the day off right. And then we actually go into the kitchen and make a small dinner for maybe myself, my husband, maybe my parents if they're around, and we never make turkey. I think turkey is dry and not my favorite thing. And actually, we grew up vegetarian, so we always make a lentil loaf or a root vegetable and chestnut pie as the centerpiece for our Thanksgiving table. I like that happy hour starts during the morning <laughs> milking. That sounds wonderful. You know, it's just kind of a fun, different thing. I think everybody should have their own family traditions, right? That and after seems you've fair. drank a bottle of champagne at breakfast, it doesn't really matter what you're having for lunch. Just something to soak it all yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Probably the lentil loaf tastes just fine after a bottle <laughs> of champagne in the morning. So today we're going to be visiting with one of my absolute favorite people in the whole world. She grew up coming to our house every summer and spending the summer running through the pastures, picking raspberries, being on the farm with us, and then she'd return to her home in downtown Chicago. She grew up cooking with her Sicilian grandparents, and she loves to cook now. She loves to bake, she loves to can, and she's worked at some of the top restaurants in Chicago as a pastry chef. One of those restaurants was Table 52, which was owned by Chef Art Smith, he was the personal chef for Oprah for quite a while. If it's good enough for Oprah, it's good enough yeah. for me. So you almost know Oprah. I almost know Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to get her on the show. Buy gardens right. or something. Exactly. She? I'm sure she doesn't have anything to do. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, what we did is we asked a lot of you to write in with some questions that you have for holiday baking and holiday cooking. And that's why we have my cousin Cece on the podcast today to answer some of those questions. Over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. The horse knows the way to carry the sleigh through wide and drifted snow. My parents went to New Orleans. I mean, I was probably 10 maybe. And they brought back Emeril Agassi's cookbook. And I was obsessed. And I cooked... The first sweet thing that I ever made by myself was zabayon, which is a wine cream, uh, like a wine dessert. And so you have to make it on a double boiler, which was basically, you know, a pot that you cook spaghetti in with a big silver, you know, big metal pot over it. And I'm standing on a step stool in the kitchen, whisking and whisking and whisking. You have to whisk it to soft peaks, whisking, whisking, whisking. And I was like so upset because I thought it was going to set up like stiff, like whipped cream would set up. Looking back on it now, I made it perfectly, but I was so upset because I thought that it, I'm like, why isn't it coming together? It's not being, you know, it, it was not like frosting or like, you know, whipped cream. So I thought I was failing at it, but it actually turned out well. And that was like the first little dinner party that I ever cooked. It was a cowboy steak 
and Zabayon for my family. I was like 11, 10 or 11 years old. You know, you always wanted to farm. This was the only career path that I wanted to take. There was no other option. It was, that was it. Our listener, Emily Roden, she has a question that I know a lot of people have this time of the year, and it's about pie crust. Pie crust seems to be one of those things that folks are a little bit intimidated about making from scratch. When I want to do pie crust, I just go to the freezer yeah. section of the grocery store and just, it's not intimidating at all. Not they're, after today, man. They're, the they're all the same. After today, you're going to leave here with a great pie crust okay, recipe. Okay, good, good. And that's going to be your contribution for Thanksgiving. But the thing is, is it's so easy to make and it's just practice. So close that freezer door at the grocery store and go pick up some cold butter and some flour and a little bit of salt and sugar and you've got it. So let's hear from Cece about some of her pie making techniques. Here's the deal. I think pie crust has been so overhyped that people are terrified of making it so stiff. I mean, when was the last time that you had a pie crust that that's exactly what you remember about the pie it was like mm, the feeling was mediocre but that crust was amazing for me it doesn't really happen i always like to use butter and shortening i like that kind of feel that mouth feel a little more tender of a crumb and i always use vodka because vodka when you bake it in the oven that alcohol evaporates you know it, it evaporates so much faster than water does and it'll leave you with a flakier crumb so when you have the combination of vodka and shortening like the butter shortening combination, it gives you a, a flakier pie crust. So that's my little tip. Make sure it's it's chilled and cold, but if it's not, don't beat yourself off about it. It'll be fine. People are gonna love it. People love something that's homemade. We love the effort that's put into it. Well, that is fascinating. I feel like I've got some tools to make the perfect <laughs> pie crust, which leads to our next question that's from Beth, who's also a listener of this podcast. And in regards to pie crust, she's wondering if you do the same thing for a fruit pie crust that you would for a quiche. And I've been dying to know the answer to this one. So let's see what Cece has to say about that. When I make quiche crust, I use a little vegetable oil in it. So it's basically the same. You can definitely beat up a quiche crust a little bit more than a pie crust, in my opinion. But you do want to really make sure that a quiche crust is tender because the filling is so tender. The way that I make a quiche anyways, it's pretty tender. That's more custardy. So you definitely don't want to fight to the bottom of it. But yeah, I use a little bit, bit of vegetable oil or olive oil in my quiche crust. So it's a little bit sturdier, but it's basically the same. So Cece's absolutely right. When you're doing those savory crust, you can use oil and that just kind of makes it a little bit different, a little bit savory. But I use sort of the same pie crust throughout, whether I'm doing it for a galette, a quiche, a fruit pie, whatever, savory or sweet. And it's basically flour, butter, it's a pâté brisé, and I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly because I never pronounce anything correctly. But. It sounded fancy, so let's just go <laughs> good, with it. Good, good, good. <laughs> and it's just flour, butter, ice-cold water, and a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt. If I'm doing a savory crust, I just leave out some of the sugar. If I'm doing a sweet pie crust, I just add more sugar. So it's very easy. So speaking of going to the grocery store, when I have to go pick up butter, I can't tell you how many times I've just stood there staring at the salted versus unsalted. And one of our listeners, Mark, had the same question. What's the difference between salted butter or unsalted butter and which one should we buy? That is a great question. Salted butter just has salt in it. So you have to watch your recipe and how much salt that you're putting into it. I 
use unsalted butter to bake. I mean, if you have only salted butter at the house and you want to make some cookies, don't feel like you have to run out to the store and go buy something. Just adjust your salt in the recipe, you know? But I prefer to use unsalted butter because I like to control the amount of salt in the recipe. But really, other than that, that's that's kind of it. You know, I use, I'll use a salted butter as more of a table butter for bread and, you know, toast and stuff like that. But otherwise, I generally go unsalted for cooking and baking. Jim wants to know how to make the perfect pecan pie. And I know this is a great question for Cece because she worked at restaurants that were focused on more like Southern cuisine. And when I think pecan pies, I think Southern cuisine. And I'm gonna, got my notebook out now. I'm gonna take some notes as she answers this question because I'm really excited to make one maybe. The interesting thing about pecan pie is when I was growing up, I didn't think I liked pecan pie because I think I had pecan pie that just wasn't very good. And then later in life, I had some really good pecan pie in a fancy restaurant and it was life altering. (laughs) (laughs) Now I think I love pecan pie. (laughs) So you say pecan? Pecan, you say pecan, I say pecan. (laughs) Pecan, pecan, let's toss the whole thing off. I think I say pecan. Pecan, I like that better. That sounds fancier. (laughs) That's probably my Milwaukee accent coming out. (laughs) Oh, you betcha. (laughs) Pecan pie is fantastic. I still make it to this day. I make it with more of a butter cookie dough. It's got uh, butter, sugar, one egg, vanilla, and some flour. So you make that. You make it in the, your mixer, put it in the fridge, chill it out, roll it, put it in your pie pan, and blind bake it for about 15 minutes. Take your beans out of the middle or your pie weights, and then put your filling in. There's not really a time for it. I just would check it after 20 minutes. But when it's slightly jiggly in the middle and the sides start puffing a little bit, it's basically done. Now, Inga, the best part about Thanksgiving is being with people that you love. The worst part about Thanksgiving is being stressed out in the kitchen. Now, I'm not going to lie. That's not usually where I'm at Thanksgiving. I'm not usually (laughs) in the kitchen. But I have noticed at different Thanksgivings where the hustle and bustle of the kitchen just looks stressful. So I'm wondering if there's a way that we can lessen the stress load in the kitchen by being properly prepared for Thanksgiving. And as somebody who's worked in a restaurant like Cece has, I would imagine she might have some tips for us. My first piece of advice is do as much ahead as you can. So I would try to make your pies the day before, make your pie crust and let them stay in the fridge. You know, you could do that a week before if you wanted to. You could do all of your mise en place, which means like you should have all of your ingredients for the recipe labeled, ready to go, everything cut, everything measured, ready to go. So when you're cooking, you don't have to think about anything. It's just already set and ready to go. And I would get help in the kitchen if you can. I would delegate if you could to make it easier on you. Don't sweat about doing these really intricate recipes. It's more about gathering. It's about feeding people and um, having good memories. If you're flustered and you're running behind and you're like, oh my God, everything's falling apart. Like that's not going to be fun for you. So just, you know, I would say keep it traditional Keep the the foundations of, you know, what you think Thanksgiving or Christmas should be like for you. And then 
you could build on it in years, years ahead or, or take notes and see what you could have done differently. But I would just keep it simple and have a great time. When Chance and I were first dating, he invited me up to his folks for Thanksgiving and it's always like a little bit nerve-wracking going to someone's house for Thanksgiving for the first time, especially when you're like in love with their son and what do you do? And then also they're like, oh, we've seen you on TV. Can you bring a side dish? So then it's like, okay, well, it better be good. You know, a lot of times when I'm cooking on TV, no one's there tasting it. So it's like if I don't add enough salt or anything, no one's the wiser, right? Nobody even knows that you actually cooked it on a television <laughs> exactly. show. You could have picked that up in the bakery or something. Somewhere. Exactly. I mean, I don't, but exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to take some mashed potatoes because I grill potatoes every year. And so I thought I should take something from the farm. And I'm talking to Cece and I'm saying like, uh, what do I do? What do I do? And so she gave me this incredible recipe for how to make mashed potatoes and how to make them the best ever. Matt, I swear to God, Chance got down on one knee and proposed to me after he had a mouthful of those potatoes. They're the <laughs> best things I've ever had. And everyone should have this recipe on their Thanksgiving table this year. Um, well, so here's how I make the perfect mashed potatoes for a, an event like Thanksgiving. So when you make ahead of time, so you cook the potatoes. I don't like to peel them because I feel like all the nutrition is in the peel, but you could peel them if you want to, it doesn't matter. Cut them at the same size so they all cook evenly in the water. I like to rinse them a couple times to get all the starch out of it as much as you can. And then put it on the stove, bring it to a boil from cold. And then once a knife can go through it, they're done. So you drain them, let them sit in the sink for a minute, and then put them into your mixer or ricer. And I beat the steam out of it until they're pretty dry. So I let them cool, beat the steam out of it till they're almost dry, and then I let them sit in the mixer. Then later on, I will heat up my cream and butter until it's super hot, and I turn the mixer on slowly, and I stream it in. So that reheats all of the potatoes, and then you could adjust for salt, and it always makes them so creamy. They're perfect, for me anyway. I think they're absolutely perfect. That is the greatest idea I've ever heard with the mashed potatoes, because we make a fair amount of mashed potatoes in our household, because my kids love mashed potatoes. But it's always the most stressful part of the meal because I always thought when those potatoes cool off, then they're not going to be as good. But if you're not worried about the potatoes getting cold because you can just heat that up and then dump it in there and bada boom, bada bing, there we are. I mean, that, that might just change my life. That mashed potato recipe might have just changed my life. And you don't even need to wait for Thanksgiving to make these mashed potatoes. You can make them any day of the week and everyone is going to love it when you bring those out. This show and CC have gotten me excited for Thanksgiving and I don't know if I was before so thank you for allowing me to be a part of this and I hope that everybody that's listening has a great Thanksgiving and that everybody's safe but that we can still feel like the holidays are here even though it's going to be different this year I think it can still be special even if it's just your immediate family or whoever happens to show up around your table. I think so too Matt and I'm excited for people to be able to maybe have some more intimate dinners instead of having everyone at the table maybe it's more intimate maybe they're having a zoom conversation with family that can't be there or exchanging recipes that they each can make to have the same meal on Thanksgiving we're really resilient as people and this is just one of those times when we're gonna have to just pivot and figure it out and I know we're all gonna be the best for it 
I just want to kind of leave you with the fact that we are resilient people. We can pivot, we can figure out different ways to celebrate and be close to family. But most of all, let's find things that we're thankful for. Even in these hard times, even these unusual times, let's find something that we're definitely thankful for. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving and I hope you'll gather with us next time around the farm table. I'm your host, Inga Witcher. And I'm Matt Kinzera. If you have a question about farming or food or just want to get in touch with us, you can email us at aroundthefarmtablepodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share it with your friends. You can also review us and leave us five stars if you'd like. And if you're looking for some recipes and to connect with some of the farmers we talk to, find us at www.aroundthefarmtable.com. And check out your local PBS station for television episodes of Around the Farm Table.